hard work, gun-toting cats atop flame-nostriled unicorns, this is Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Come along and hang out with the guys behind the Fantasy Factory curtain. Be exposed to those backroom, unfiltered meetings where the beer geekery is on point and beer trends are dissected. Welcome to this week's episode of the Carbon 4 Podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. We've got the right people around the table today to talk about what's going on in the brewing industry. What are they seeing in the tap rooms right now? How are people approaching how they try beers when they're visiting the tap rooms or or taking beers to go? We've got Ryan and Zach Koga from Carbon 4, Joe Waltz from Carbon 4. We've got Clint from Working Draft Beer Company and... Kirby from Wisconsin Brewing Company and Lake Louie. And I'm your producer, Jonathan Eckelberg. Take it away, Ryan. We ha- so if I set the stage, Joe has been West Coast, Midwest. You're one of the smartest people I know, Joe. Anything you're turning your mind to is incredible. And it's been such a pleasure to work alongside you and learn so much and, and just watch you go after things. So but you what that has to do with we the have, softness of Kirby's life. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting to it. I'm getting so, yeah. So, like, there's... The sophistication, the science, the ability to execute. Zach is vice president of the, of the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. Got roped into all this shit because of me, <laughs> uh, but brought the engineer's approach. So his his approach to problem solving of this industry and in our company has been very different. That's why we're we've been very different. We run differently. We do things differently because I never homebrewed either. I never gave a shit about beer until I was already working at a brewery. And I spent 50 grand on a fucking master's degree I haven't used because beer bit me. And I became like, I learned, fi- it took me 17 years before you said it last year, or the year before, when you're like, I'm a, not a beer geek, I'm a brewery geek. And I was like, oh my God, there we go. That's exactly me. That's, I, that is it. I love the the craft, the process, the people, you know, but I get drunk too fast, you know, so I'd rather hit the peace pipe or something. So, you know, so Zach came in from the outside. So he's had a, you know, progressively learn all this shit. And approach problems on from a very different profile uh, uh, stage. Jonathan, you've been around, huge craft beer fan to the point of starting a podcast, and now you've gotten to travel around, interviewing everybody, mm-hmm. getting to see behind the curtain, understand what they're concerned about. Clint, you're coming in, crushing it, killer late uh, loggers. You're like everybody goes to your place to hang out, you know. Afterwards, I, I, you're one of the best brewers I know, hands down. Thank you, hands down. And I'm like Kirk, the old neutered cat. Kirby, in the sun. <laughs> we just met. Your name's Kirky. Corky. Did we just meet? Kirby, when, when I first, I just realized this about myself, like embarrassed about myself, just berating myself. I think when I first moved here to start K4, you were, in my mind, like successful. You were like old guard at that time. And so I think internally, I put a chip on my shoulder for no fucking reason at all, because I was trying to prove things to myself and I wasn't mature enough. Mm-hmm. To understand that I was competing against myself, and I didn't ever see myself competing against you. I was just like, I've and internally it took me years to understand, that, like I want to be like Kirby. <laughs> and after a okay. long time, and so at first, and so at first in my mind, I was, I thought, you know, thought kind of adversarial, like, well, I'm gonna, I'm bringing the flavor from somewhere else, and I learned this shit too, you know. And but I think in my mind, I was just jealous. I just, I wanted to be. If my name and your name were in the same sentence, I think that maybe that was my goal. And now years later, I've gotten the opportunity to know you and absolutely come to respect you. And I love listening to you, your stories and your experience and shit. So here's everybody here. You can answer this question. 
what the fuck is happening with beer right now and craft beer? We have so many angles here right now. You guys have already yeah. kind of hit upon it. Like, what, what, are, what's next? What are we doing? Because I feel kind of lost. I knew what to do before. It was trying to teach people that beer was there. And then it was beer fun and iteration. The world had a fucking pandemic and weird stuff happened. And now it's like the seltzers and RTDs. You know, the thing about seltzers I learned was like there's a there's a group of people out there who don't have their thing. You know, and so they glommed on to seltzers, and that's what they actually wanted to have. You know, so good for them, and good that we can brew it for them. And, and I want to make it as great. But like, what? What is? What do you guys think is happening? What I is happening? Build on your point before Kirby answers this, because I think Kirby is going to be the best person in this room to predict the future. And <laughs> and the reason why agreed, 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 because he's seen I'm, it. And I'm serious because my yeah, experience at Octopi, right? When I was working at Octopi, I saw trends come and go so fast. Because you had breweries that thought they were going to brew like 30,000 barrels a year of whatever. And they did. They would do it and they would crank out 30,000 barrels a year and then the sales would die and that brewery would go away. And I was only there for about, uh, when did I start working here? Like two and a half years. Yeah, I was at Octopi for about two and a half years. And years. in that time, there were probably a, at least a half dozen breweries that made beer at Octopi at a massive scale. And they all wanted the same thing at the same time. So we'd make these styles of beer. It was exploding and then it would die fast and it would die hard. So it was like four or five different trends, like rose and fell on that short amount of time that I was at Octopi. And I think you are now seeing that because you're, you're doing contracting at a, on a similar scale as Octopi. And so I think you're at that edge where people are making at a big enough scale to be tied to larger trends. So I think you are in a position right now. Well, you got us. Number one, thank you very much for the kind words, Ryan. I don't know, think you know what the hell you're talking about, but I, I appreciate it. And, um, Neither and, do I. That's the problem. Joe, Joe, <laughs> that's where we started. Was yeah, I, I wish I, wish I, had, I wish I had the crystal ball, so to speak. Um, and I don't. But I do think, I know beer is going to be around here forever. You know what I mean? I mean, let's face it, the history of humankind is kind of tied with beer. Yeah. And it's not, like that's when I said, I hate beer as a fad because I do. Because I don't like this. Okay, this year we're, we got, I don't even know if I've had a, a pastry stout because I refuse to drink this shit. Um, and all these different fruit type beers. And, well, Brute IPA, Northeast IPA, Hazy IPA, West Coast IPA. What the fuck, over? I mean, you know, it just, we're, everyone's trying to cr invent something new and not get, and, or follow very, very quickly to, um, to stay part of that trend as it's rising. And then where's the next one going to come from it? Is that a successful strategy? I don't, for the long run, I don't know. All I know is all I can do is make the kind of beers I believe in and hope and, and do the best, best damn job we can do and make sure we're taking care of all our responsibilities with our distributors and the accounts to get the best possible chance to get our unfair, unfair share of mind. And hopefully people over time will realize and appreciate your efforts. I don't really wish i could see you tell you what's going to be the next hip thing because it's come and gone so quick and by contract you know producing under contract you realize some people i they, they bring us stuff that they think they're going to sell it's just you drink it and it's like holy shit you know it's, but okay good luck you know what i mean and with beer what i've just seen again it has been science fiction that i've seen happen since you know capital was a craft brewery and my friend was destroying um a, a British brewing expert's palate with Sevier Nevada, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I've seen an incredible amount of change at that time. And lagers became very kind of dis pretty quickly in this thing. You know, the rise of hops. And when I started at Capital, there were maybe 15 commercial variety of hops to choose from. How many you got now, boys? A couple hundred plus and more coming out every day. Yeah, can't keep track. Yeah. And 
that is very much due to the American craft brewing scene. You know what I mean? I think it's great to show the kind of impact we've had on the world with um, this wild-eyed movement that basically started out with a bunch of stone hippies on the West Coast, for, quite frankly. Um, and I, I don't really know. I just, I, all I can do is res- do what I believe in and hope that, um, um, that there's enough other people out there that say, yeah, let's keep this um, trend going of traditional beers. And I mean traditional as it evolved since the 1800s with lagers and that. I think Brewed IPA was such a beautiful failure. I mean, it was just a dry <laughs> beer that really accentuated, like, the you could get the subtlety out of the hops. I love brewed IPAs. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it is a bummer. it's a bummer that didn't stick around. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It, was, it, had, it had the makings of, like, the right kind of, like, classical long-term qualities than it was, what, 18 I, I months, maybe? It, 12 three. months. Three. Three months. That wasn't yeah. even that summer. Oh. We barely brought out the, what was, like, it, what do we call it? It was Poppenhoff. Oh yeah, With, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> That's a great name. Yeah. I think it was. And that was it. Uh, a marketing failure, though. You know, like I think I, I, I can't even specifically say why. Um, but That's true. You call it something else, I, and people I think are going to love it. People are still making those beers. Maybe not. Maybe they're not using an enzyme. Maybe they're not. I mean, we make what like West Coast IPAs. They're still like bone dry. Like, I got a buddy who works at El Segundo Brewing, and he'll send me beer from time to time. And, those West Coast brewers are making those IPAs, like modern West Coast IPA are brewed IPA. I mean, they're like, they're pale. There's no crystal malt. They're very dry, like under, yep. like they're like one and a half Play-Doh finishing gravity. Oh, yeah. San Diego oh, wow. Super Yeast is my house yeast out West when I brewed in Tacoma. That was glorious. I didn't need any enzymes. It still, yeah, it still <laughs> exists, basically. It's just not, they don't call it brewed IPA. But um, what I was going to say about like where beer is going is, you know, I don't know, but I'm hopeful, you know, I look at more mature beer markets like in Europe. And I'm hopeful that that's where we're going. Right. Is like, you know, the United States did, did it's United States thing where we went big on light lager and, and made it a commodity and made it less about like quality. I mean, those beers, and then this is not a me saying those beers aren't quality because they totally are, but it was, that wasn't the message, right? It was like more about the marketing campaign behind them and, and kind of like the culture of those beers in terms of like, you know, this is a man's beer, yada, yada, all that shit. Where in Europe, getting, getting like, you know, really like hyper masculine dudes to drink light beers, one of the biggest coups I think of marketing yeah, history. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you think about it, it really is. You um, know, the original was one out of Rheingold called Glambiger or something like that. And their TV ad was a big slovenly guy in a wife beater <laughs> with a huge plate of spaghetti and a bottle of light beer. That didn't fly. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and what's interesting, too, is here we're talking about the future beer and craft and this and that. Let's face it. One out of every two beers in this country, I bet, still is a light beer. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or so what beer. is majority of the beer consumer drinking? The very, very mild lager. You know, one of the more interesting takes I heard about different, like, you know, cultures excelling and in, in producing different beverages that I've kind of come across over, over time was um, people talking about you know, a place is really well known for something like France being known for wine, you know, for example, you Germany being known for beer, you you go to those places and what and what makes it stand out. And it's possible that Dean might have told me this from Ale Asylum, but wasn't like what's happening on the top end, you know, what can you get for like, you know, a hundred dollars a bottle of wine, but it's what's happening on the low end. And it's like you go into a place and just get whatever is being served to everybody and it's like it's dirt cheap and it's still delicious 
you know, and so where that intersects with, with something like light lager is really interesting to me where the quality is, is very high, but you know, it's an, it's intentionally meant to offend the least number of people be kind of bland, be kind of like top 30 music. You know, I would say maybe that's not quite true of, of wine in France, but you know, it kind of raises an interesting question. Like how good is the cheap beer here? Right. Well, quality basically, point. I mean, best definition of quality I've ever heard is a product does what it's supposed to do. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, so when folks in early on in craft are always dissing large brewery um, quality, no, not at all. American breweries, um, large breweries have set standards throughout the world of how to give beer shelf life in a snap. It was made, as you said, to be a mass marketed product. And how do you mass market something? You offend the least number of people possible. Well, and the thing too, with trends is like, they're cyclical. I mean, in Kirby, you're, you could speak to this. I mean, you know, like, there's always going to be something sweet and alcoholic that's popular. It's hard soda. It was wine coolers. It's, it's, and now it's like overfruited seltzers. And, you know, I actually talked to somebody, I won't name names, but I was talking to somebody who, who is, uh, who, whose brewery makes overfruited seltzers that are pretty successful. And I was like, yeah, it's like really genius what you did. You just like, you took wine coolers and you, and you like give them a different name. Like that's so <laughs> yeah. super smart. And you can tell like never done. Every, on. every, oh, really? Yeah. It was like, He's kind of taken it back. I was going to say, everybody like, thinks it. Nobody says right. it. Yeah. I said it. Excuse me. I ordered a Zima, not emphysema. My favorite Simpsons episode. <laughs> See, well, when Zima first came out, the same with Zima Zucks. <laughs> and now look what happened. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you don't look at it, if you kind of sift through the marketing bullshit, like it's all the same stuff, right? But what has persisted? It's like the, the sweet. The sweet, heavy novelty things come and go always. There's a different iteration of them. They're a little bit different. They're marketed different. But what's what stays and stays more consistent is, uh, you know, the loggers of the world, right? Like the the dry, drinkable, balanced. That's the stuff that sticks around, and that's what I hope for. The United States is is like this maturing of the beer market, where those trends become a little less prevalent and a little less market driving, and um, people kind of come back around. I mean, I think about my own evolution as a beer drinker. There's a time where I was into the, you know, you guys remember the big Belgian craze where everybody was making triples and quads that were like 10% and mm-hmm. taste like jet fuel and they're not like well-made. <laughs> they're classic, like American over the top, no balance. Right. Just too sweet. Yeah. Too sweet and too boozy. You know, I had that phase. I was into that stuff and I've, I've just came through it all back to lager. The one thing I will say is IPA is here to stay. I think hazy IPA is going to be here to stay. There's a place for that stuff. And I think that's like really is actually like America's true beer over light lager because light lager is just a derivation of European style lagers. But IPA is like a truly born and bred American thing that is taking over the world. I don't think is going to go anywhere. Um, I think it'll change over time, but it's like kind of our stamp as a country on, on the beer culture of the world i think i, I agree well, i think hazy's I didn't a think long had it time in. ago yeah. here i am the, the, the hazy's talk, originally talk hazy's i always we were making fun of because we were we were slow to get into it because we were talking about juicy ipa profiles from the very beginning that's how ryan always described his approach to fantasy factory and then we were really missing the nuance of of what was behind hazy's and the new england yeah, style and, and now over the years have have We've gotten much better at making them, especially in the past couple of years, and then and then have visited a few breweries that are really known for legitimate hazies. It's like, oh, there's 
there's really something there. It's not just this like garbage mm-hmm. chunky IPA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 like let's just yeah. take the layer right above the hop getting, settling in the tank and call it easy. Getting to like kind of <laughs> sustained like you know, getting trends up and down, you know, that stuff aside, like in terms of sustained market pressure, the thing that actually really worries me as a maker of beer is whiskey. And, you know, I think because whiskey is one of those things that is just, it's its own, like, and I'm not a big spirits drinker. Cause I just, you know, it's hard for me to, to get past the burning, you know, I can take a sip of whiskey and understand why people appreciate it. And I'm like, it's not my thing, but it is a legitimately like, elegant delicious product and it's been around forever i love whiskey yeah it's you know a lot of a lot of parallels (laughs) with the beer industry and then you throw it into barrels and whatever but yeah do you know that that to me it it like represents a a a serious pressure because that's something that's been slowly growing um slowly kind of eroding on on beer's market share and i don't think anything should be done about it you know i don't think we need to look at whiskey producers and be like oh man fuck those guys we got to compete like i think there's a you know there there's a shared space there but you know i think in time in the long run the beer industry is going to get a little smaller because of whiskey and i think that's something that's got to be considered you know that launched our industry they're drinking bourbon now. I mean, that just age wise. Uh-huh. Oh, I drink it like a fish. Yeah, there's th- there's also peanut butter and cinnamon whiskey. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. Stop. One could argue that they're pastry whiskey. <laughs> Hang on a second. Peanut butter with boys. Is good. Maybe we should shut down the podcast. Hazy bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Just charcoal. Double what if you dry hopped it? <laughs> Double dry barreled. Yeah, there you hazy go. bourbon. You know, let's face Carbonation it. beer with, barrels. With passion fruit. I mean, I don't know where beer is going to go, but let's face it. You know, the craft breweries have been around long enough that they're no longer a novelty. And when I first started, we were a novelty, okay? Now you've got a you know, generation of kids who are 40 years old, and they've been, they've been around it all their life. You know, so it's not something new on the shelf. It's not something that's, um, wow, what is this? You know what I mean? It's just been there um, for a large percentage of the people of drinking age now. So... Yeah, I just, you know, again, craft wasn't going to keep growing forever. And now what's new and hip, look at how, how popular bourbons become. Look how big cigar smoking was a few years ago. You know, it sings. And then you got coffees that came on. And there's always, there always tr- things seem to have trends of popularity and a certain, you know, a certain life of where they're really, let's say, present, you know, and obvious. And everyone's talking about them. Then that kind of levels off and they kind of find their niche and stay in it. Do you think that's more prescient? Prescient? In uh, the United States, I mean, the number one export of the United States is culture. It's not everything else. It's it's we export more culture than anything. So, which is really scary. Yeah, so you think it's, it's more prescient that we're yeah that we're that that it's uh, be like us. <laughs> yeah, that's got us. I don't know. Maybe pop culture bring the world together. If you're in some third, you know, if you're in a bad country, and you see all these kids dancing, having a good time. What do you want to do? So. um Anyways, I don't, like I said, I just, I got nothing but belief in beer in the long-term run of it. It's just, you know, it's just staying the course that you believe in and, um, and working hard and why will it go away? Or maybe another part of that is, uh, is, is there any like really true blue ocean left in beer? Maybe that's, I'm just going to be courageous enough to ask that question. You're talking in the sense of like unexplored. Yeah, like in com- beer, no. like complete blue ocean for beer. I mean, I think I think that uh, human beings decided a couple hundred years ago what they prefer in beer, but and we're like, just rediscovering. But IPA became, but what that's just created because yeah, humans like fruit, <laughs> and hazies <laughs> taste like fruit. 
Well, hazies do, but IPA is not the first. When IPA came up, it was actually bitter and actually as a plant alkaloid, humans, yeah, our genetics tell us that plant alkaloids are from bitters. poison stuff. So actually, we're not supposed to like bitter stuff yeah, and, and what's, IPA became What big. took over that trend? Fruity IPAs. I mean, yeah, I think Tommy that, and Dickie Smothers here, novel. it sounds like. You know I, know think, what I, mean? <laughs> I think IPAs, I, that the highly bitter IPA, it's not like it goes away forever, but it, that's that's a novelty. It's like a... It's got a smaller it's like crowd. A con- it's a contrarian sure. novelty to be like, my biology tells me to hate this, but I love it. Because <laughs> I'm a contrarian. Right, but they're also, you know, I'm they're early I always older. put my dick in a pencil sharpener. <laughs> <laughs> Forget coffee. <laughs> and then the mass <laughs> I'm market. Taking us all in. Yeah. Um, the mass market. Well, I think what everyone's got to remember is, uh, you know, remember what You're industry are we to. in? We are in the consumption industry. Yeah. Well, we sell fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's We're in the storytelling. Fun to consume. I think the people that tell their story the best win. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Zach, you've talked about share of throat and stuff yeah, too. What, so I mean, when I, the, the thing that, that sounds dirty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's your, better than a share soft your lap. throat, <laughs> or better than a hard lap. I don't know. The, the thing I say a lot is when everybody's winning, nobody's winning. We we didn't win. We rode the wave. I mean, I think we've done. We've worked really hard. And we've I made some decisions that have worked out for us, but um, mostly we rode a wave. And I think and I think mostly a lot of the ten thousand breweries today rode a wave. And we'll see who we'll see who can actually run a business and and tell a story and have a point of view. And there's plenty of people out there doing that. So I'm not saying nobody is, but I think that the future is the real movement is culture, storytelling, connection with a local producer, et cetera. I think that keeps you relevant. So whoever can tell their story the best and makes good beer, um, is going to be the people that last, and I think of a very large. Well, look at the breweries that really took hits over the last few years when this kind of <laughs> became more hyper localized. It was the ones that depended on a multi state, multi mm-hmm. you know, a national um, strategy. Green Flash. Um, yeah. Tog, or Tog, I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, Sam Adams, look how their beer has taken a hit. And those are very good beers, by the way. Yeah. Um, it just. Uh, well, just look at. Uh, so we just got finished redoing our packaging line. Over the last year, or so I've been subscribed to every auction site and shit, looking for stuff. And it used to be kind of you know once a quarter, maybe twice, you would see a brewery on an auction site. And every week, there's a new liquidation. Yeah, there's something happening. new all the time. I'm I'm subscribed subscribed to a couple yeah. of them too, and it's like complete liquidation. I, I, it reminds me of I've heard you know older brewers talk about this in the '90s, where like there was a that's the same thing where it kind of took a hit. Um, and it's, I think it's very similar times where we're seeing a little bit of a con- consolidation of the industry where the breweries that were weak, well, you know, what COVID did is, is like the breweries that were on the cusp of, of going big, were kind of forced to just commit, right. And do that. And then the breweries that were not in a good spot, it just, you know, we're like, we got them year before we run out of time. And then it was like, nope, now you run out of time. And so it, it trimmed a lot of that off. And we haven't even seen all the effects of that. You know, I think people coming out of COVID too are like, oh, COVID's over. You're good now, right? It's like, no, we all borrowed <laughs> is, a shit ton of money the worst year of it all. <laughs> to get through it, right? Like, I'm completely. It's, it's going to take a while. Was down 6% last year and our costs doubled. Not a, yeah. good, not yeah. a good year. Not that, a good year. That math just don't work, does it? Yeah. No, that dog don't hunt, Kirby. Tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about. Uh, like is this uh human behavior 
Is this what it boils down to in the end is like human behavioral patterns, you know, like you said, like humans like fruit because you're yeah. looking for sugar biologically. I mean, is it, is it, is it, so is it predetermined? Is it novelty or I, I'm hopeful in here? the United States that in I was kind of getting this with the European beer market where like for Germany, for example, where they have big breweries, certainly. And then they, those breweries have satellite breweries, but there's a little bit of a model of like, um, you know, a brewery satisfies their county or whatever. Like, for example, oh. there was, uh, I listened to a podcast with the, the brewer from Shinram and he was saying that they do something like, I think it's like a hundred thousand barrels a year and 95% of it sold in like a 40 kilometer radius around the brewery. Like that's, that's what I would like to see, right? Is like Nuclearis has kind of led the way with that of like, and not quite as intensive a model where they're like in one state, um, I would argue New Glarus is the most successful craft brewery in the country. I totally agree. Yeah. I would doubt it. Totally. 100%. Agree. Yep. And, that they, and I think a lot of their strategy has been to them emulating a German model of, you know, we supply the area around our brewery. And I think that lines up with what we're seeing in American consumer buying habits is with the younger generations. It's like they want local. And so there's going to be less options locally, still, a lot, I think, a good amount of them, but not as many as there are. So it's going to get trimmed down. But I think that the breweries, everyone's going to kind of fight for their, like, bigger piece of that pie. I, I think there's something, I don't know if it's unique to the American psyche, but it's definitely something that I think is here, is that people tend to want to not support something that's like too big even when you're talking about local yeah. you know new glarus is definitely the exception to that rule but you know i think there's always going to be room for new breweries coming in on a really small scale but none of them are going to get really big mm -hmm. you know they're going to they're going to supply their neighborhood they're going to be you know dependent on i don't i don't know what having an independently wealthy owner who can like you know have a business that it turns 20 percent profit but 20 percent out of an amount of money you know that's not going to like you know, pay a mortgage for it. Uh, I mean, if you look at beer and look at things like wine, you know, I think wine is the first example where all of a sudden you go to a you know, liquor store now and there's hundreds and hundreds of small wineries. Whereas in the 1970s, you had five different companies, you know, Gallo, I can't even think of them, that had the half liter screw tops. And it's very competitive and a lot of wines have failed. Yeah, but um, <laughs> excuse me. Boone, Boone's Farm, am I pronouncing that right? That's I think his but, name's Charles Shaw. Boone. Boone. Boone's Farm. <laughs> but anyway, so if you look at, I mean, you didn't used to see like, um, especially chocolate shops, bakeries, butcher shops, you know, there's, there seemed to be a lot more wide variety of locally, local produced food that has popped up over the last 23, 20 or 30 years. What Clint has said, like, you know, staying local. And I think that's, um, something we have to realize that the national strategy is, it's probably not a good one. If you're, if you're a small brewery or something like that, it's really focused on the area we're from where you can actually control things. And, you know, can, can be a mano a mano, so to speak, with your customers. Do you think that's a function, maybe even of the age of our country as well? Like, we're coming out of an adolescence where, and, and maybe that's where, maybe that's the craft brewing industry right now is just simply coming out of its teenage years. You know, like when I was first in college in 1920, I would, you know, just going to parties and being around a lot of people and, Oh, it's just going crazy. And now I'm 42 and it's like, no, if I'm going to hang out with somebody, it's going to be like one of three people I actually like and do like one thing I actually like doing. Cause I don't give a shit about all the other stuff anymore. It's just noise. And it doesn't actually add to my life 
in any like real way, like any of those bar adventures or parties I went to, but I could have one campfire or a conversation like this in this room, I'll remember forever. You know, like just a two hour stint is like, it's fantastic, better than a weekend at Bernie's. And um, so like for our country, maybe the adolescence of the psyche is that we're chasing all the different white noise and the stuff, but maybe we'll settle into that pattern of like the German brewery that's servicing its neighborhood and people understand like, Hey, you just don't, you don't need all the confetti all the time. It's just, you know, just chill out and look for something really quality. That's worth that avatar of your life force <laughs> invest yeah, into something good. I, I think good. you're hitting the nail on the head. I think that this people forget how young this country is. Like yeah. I, it blows my mind when I look at like my like history shit and like realize how long the Roman empire was around and you're like, Whoa! Like I when you apply that to the context of how long the United States has been a country, you're like, holy shit! Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. like in England, you, you they go think to Britain and a pup yeah. signs a contract with a brewery for 99 years, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say in in England they think 100 miles is a long distance, in America they think 100 years is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> or like that, you know, Weinstein's like was founded in 1042 or whatever. They say they have brewing records from there. It's like, man, that brewery has been brewing beer for four times as long as we've been a country. <laughs> yeah. right. Like, yeah, we're like, wild. have you ever heard of the hops? Ever? Kind of a different version of this talk once, but I don't know if you guys know who Bill Smith was. Bill Smith, um, Pittsburgh Brewery. That's what the they call dead people 70s. when they can't identify him, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And anyways, um, Pittsburgh Brewing had a hell of a resurgence, I believe, in the early 70s, where they really became a very, very huge brand in their home turf. And it was due to Bill Smith's leadership, but they were going out to the counts, drinking beer as a gang every night and working it, working it, working it hard, okay? He's dead now. Right, he is. And then he, they, 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 he, they perhaps hired him to run it, but it was too little too late by that time. Then him and a guy bought Huber, and it didn't work. But I remember once an interview, seen an interview with him, and um, basically cool he was story. saying, Budweiser does so well because it's everyone's second favorite beer. <laughs> And his point was, if you're somewhere and you're not really sure what's available, you know you can always count on that beer. That right. it's it's going to be good. It might not it's be like your favorite. Sam Adams at an airport. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> right. Or Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> yeah, but he was he was quite a guy. Very interesting guy. I you know I think our business model and and Kirby you've you found yourself there. To me, the the solution is this focus and real point of view and quality and and a narrower i think offering we're trying to lean into that but you have to to bridge the gap there's contract and and maybe Mm -hmm. it's a gap that never goes away entirely for the scale i I know that's where we're trying to use that as a way to say let's focus and we'll hedge the bet with contract volume or sodas or other things so that we can make the beer we want to make because we don't have the taproom model that's proven out. I mean, it, our taproom works, but it's not big enough to carry it by itself. Yeah, because, you know, in a production facility, you've really got to figure out efficiencies. you got to figure out the the way you can make the best margin off this product, and especially now more than ever with prices going up and it being so competitive on the street. Again, beer is more competitive than it's ever been. Um, and then I totally lost track of what I was going to say, thinking about lap dances or something. I don't know. That's the way I think about the future entirely. I mean, our strategy is yeah, how well, do we afford the things no, we want to make? That's what, you know, we are enough to find out. And, you know, with how we are, have set up our company in the last year and a half now, we're in expansion. You know, we're sticking up big tanks outside because we need them and we couldn't build, build the structure fast enough. But 
even though we're brewers at heart and what we really try to focus on beer is I know as we expand a facility, we're also going to look at a real kick-ass blending facility. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can, you just have diversity. You know, well, we're, and quite frankly, a lot of breweries, I think, are going to have to become more of beverage companies if they want to survive as breweries. Well, well I think one at, of the smartest things you guys did, Kirby, was put in that tunnel pasteurizer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, gives oh, you guys I've, so much flexibility. Oh, shit. We took I, advantage I, of that last year with Wisco Pop. Yeah. No, I've, I've been, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about tunnel pasteurization. I worked in Florida. I believe in it. I mean, you know, it's, um, you have people who don't know what they're saying. That affects the flavor. No, it doesn't. All right. It really doesn't. If you have good control over DOs and blah, 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 if you know what you're doing, basically. Um, and the nice thing about tunnel pasteurizers, you go home and night, you sleep. The product is in the package, biologically stable, because even though equipment's very, very sophisticated this day in terms of the biological stability, you can, you know, put beer into a cannon, so to speak, and keg, but it's still nice because people are going to mess up once in a while. It's stable. Like Clint said, we're attracting a lot of people who need a tunnel pasteurizer in their products. We had to figure out how to modify our pasteurizer, but we did. And I'm just learning that, you know, for the long-term health of the business and our investors and that, yeah, we have to diversify. Yeah, if we had money and space for one, I'd give one in a heartbeat. I mean, there's so many products we're doing. There's places now that, yeah, we can't even take certain products in because they don't take preservatives, you know, in their thing. But we have no choice Mm -hmm. where we're at. We we have to do that until we can sell like 20,000 barrels in Madison alone. (laughs) (laughs) Then we can get a tunnel pass. If if and until. So as brewers, do you you prefer to see someone come into the tap room and they want, they're going to, you know, try half of what you have on tap they want to try every you know all of your different beers or or do you prefer to see someone that they're going to have many of the same kind of beer because it's it's something that they've really come to enjoy where where does your your mind go there as far as you know, people that just kind of pop around to beers or they have one that they're they really you know, that's a very good question from my standpoint i've never given it a thought <laughs> you know i uh, just um you want people to come in and try your thing you know i, I I almost look at these sample platters for our poor bartenders. Is mm-hmm. a busy night is kind of an ordeal. Oh, geez, you know, get them all set up. But it is a good way for people to learn about your company without mm-hmm. having to buy a whole pint of something you may not like or may like. Yeah, I mean, I do like people coming in and obviously drink, you know, getting the, the full enchilada, so to speak, and pounding one down yep. um, because they, they're saying, I like what you're doing. I like this and I want it. Yeah, I guess ultimately, if I had to make a choice, give me give me the full glassers. I see, I see it going both ways. You know, I myself personally, like I'm not a sampler guy. Like it's not like drinking a little sampler isn't going to be enough to tell me if I like it. So I tend to go into a brewery, even if it's something I've never tried. I'm like, just give me a full one and I'll drink it. And if I like it, cool. If I don't, then you know, I made that choice. I made my bed. You know, I'm sleeping in it. But you know, you see people coming in and drinking the same thing. You know, you know, you're doing something right but you see somebody coming in and ordering a lot of different stuff, whether it's a sampler or like, you know, pints of different beers, you know, one after another, like, you know, you're potentially getting a new customer. And both of those are really good things. Mm-hmm. Well, I got, if you could look at, you know, the beer tourism thing, you know, beer tourism has, there's a lot of people who've, who loved going from brewery to brewery to brewery. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to do? They're going to do the sampler. Yeah. My favorite is when people come in the door. That's, yeah. the, that's the only thing I care about. There you go. I, you got they can't, I, I take a little yep. piece and part from each part here. When people do brewery tourism, what I find from that is I'm happy that that person knows what they are passionate about, that what makes them happy and that they have the opportunity to go chase that thing. You know, like I might like to do woodworking or whatever else, you know, like, and, and so if I get the opportunity to do that, that makes me happy. 
and then I find value and joy in my life. And so when we talked earlier about people uh, chasing novelty or whatever, you know, I mean, that it, if they're doing it for a narcissism type of thing where it's just to like brag, you know, then I, whatever, I like, that's fine. But then there's the, the, the tourists, the brewery tourists who like, they just love breweries so much. They want to learn them all and taste them all. And it's really for them. It's only for them. It's not so they can tell someone else. It's just for them. And I appreciate that. I think that I, for a lot, a lot of years ago, because I'm, my ego is too fragile, you know, I've had to really learn about that. And I thought, you know, I put myself into everything I do. So I would hope that, you know, my, the beer would have like knocked the socks off of anybody, any beer I made. And then it just quickly had to like recalibrate and be like, no, 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 that's, that's kind of stupid. We're all unique. And I just hope that anybody who comes in, if they enjoy beer, there's at least one beer that I make that they like connect with. So if somebody's coming in the door, number one, I'm appreciative they've made the trip and found us, went out of the way to find us. So I'm happy about that. If they're doing samples, that's awesome because hopefully they'll find that one thing that then they'll buy in the supermarket later on. So if they haven't found us and they want to get to know us and they're going to sample, freaking great. And I also love the person who comes in who's just like, no, I just want X and I come here because I like the people and I know that I'm, I just want to get as fresh as I can. And this makes me happy. And now I'm another kill because the beer, the only important function to me, the most important function beer performs is, is bringing people together to like celebrate life, to forget either celebrate something great or maybe take a couple minutes to let go of something that hurts and, and, and just take a pause and be around people you love. And just remember that life is just so short and it's just so precious that like freaking enjoy it, you know, and if beer can be the excuse to bring people, then great. I'm glad that you're in the door. If you want to learn about us, cool. Hopefully that'll translate to the shelf later, but I hope that I don't suck enough at my job <laughs> that I have at least one thing that you like, you know, because people will say, yeah, some IPA, some porters, some style, some pilsners. I don't know. You know, I don't expect my beer to be loved by everybody at all. It, I shouldn't. Why should I? expect that so yeah it's kind of an all the above answer but for maybe just one reason that like hopefully Mm -hmm. i don't screw it up sure and it won't be right no beer will ever be loved by everybody that's Mm -hmm. an unrealistic expectation i mean i I agree that like anybody who walks in the door i'm just happy to have people in there um my favorite experience is like every once in a while we'll get somebody who's from europe or been to europe and it's like, this brings me back to that experience or it brings me back home. Oh yeah. And that's like, that feels good. Yeah, Cause that's does. what we're going for. Right. It's like those beers, you know, we get a lot of import beer in the United States, but they tend to be old. And mm-hmm. so like a fresh version of that made in the U S and feels, takes them right back. Yeah. It feels really good to have somebody have that experience and, and kind of like sense memory from drinking our beer, especially as somebody who's not been to Europe myself. Um, it's like, I feel very proud to be able to provide that experience from like me just piecing the puzzle together through whatever multitudes of information I've gotten from people I've worked with or interviews I've listened to or beers I've tried and just trying to put that, that experience that I personally have not had together for somebody for them to be like, you did it, you know, feels pretty cool. The flip side of that is that anytime I read about the Brewers Association's export development program, I just cringe. I'm like, <laughs> what are those people in Europe drinking from us? <laughs> they're like, IPAs taste like marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> if they're lucky. Yeah. 
Well, let's face it, boys. Beer exemplifies leisure with dignity when done right. That's a great saying. That's a I wish it's such an old Roman one, but I can't remember it in Latin. <laughs> do you do those um, slow pours? We've done it. Oh, the side pour. Uh, we we have we have side pull faucets for like the check loggers, yeah. um, but we've done like the slow pour. They're two different things. The slow pour is like you're trying to create like a big like muffin top of foam. Yeah. Have you um, guys? We had those in Denver. What are those? Yeah. There's some places selling a, a glass of foam. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that, what, snowstorm? They, you, slow no, pour. Slow, slow, no, that's slow not, pour. That's no, not it. Slow pour is different. Yeah, something different. Yeah. So you, yeah, you can do – the Czech have like a, a couple of different pours. God, and one of them is called, called like the Milko pour where they'll do like a full glass of foam. Is this where we had a – was yeah, it not Prost, but we went to the other Beerstad. place? Beerstad. 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 God bless, you. What was that? <laughs> yeah, you God bless you. Yeah, you said that. God bless you. Yeah, it was out of Elmhurst. <laughs> it was Ken Pavicevich. Um, it was their beer was Baderbrow. All right, you might Goose Island revive that a while ago. Baderbrow at its finest was just tremendous. You know, a Czech style Pilsner was just a OD on size. It was a hot monster, but it was really done well. These four guys. This was back in the um, late 80s when the guy called me and goes, oh, yeah, we're going to do 12,000 barrels a year right out of the chute. At that time, you know, again, this was 1987. That wasn't going to happen. And so everyone's kind of chuckling at him, and they they self-distributed in Chicago, big union town. Their drivers would do their first stop of the day and come out and be parked in for the next eight hours. <laughs> but one of the things they did was they also expected their accounts, they got the European-type taps, to take the time to pour, you know, that beautiful soul pour and have that gorgeous glass of beer. Back then, are you kidding? That customer comes and wants a beer. You better have that thing in a glass in a heartbeat and have it in front of them so they can start pounding it down. You know, it was, um, they were trying to bring a different cultural, cultural sensibility into, um, America at a time where that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, they were ahead of their time. It's very, yeah. very Czech. Check south thing. And the slow pour and like those side pull faucets are two different things. So actually, the side pull faucets are great for pouring beer fast. You think about it, the Czech Republic's the, the highest amount of beer consumed per capita in the world. Like, those people aren't waiting for their beers. <laughs> they got to sure it's not Oshkosh. It's not Oshkosh. <laughs> they lost the title. I mean, by country, right? Oshkosh <laughs> might be by county. But, um, you know, the, this, the whole thing with the side ports is you control the foam. So it's like it's a ball valve. So you can open it 45 degrees, get foam, and then open it wide open and pour beer underneath the foam. And there's a couple of different ways to do it. And certainly some of it's like marketing gimmicky bullshit, I'm sure. But it goes back to like beer presentation and beer culture in a country. And so I think that's like the romanticism behind it and why that's tied to it. I mean, like the slow pour stuff, I've heard differing accounts of whether or not that's actually a thing in Germany that people do. I think it makes a very pretty looking glass of beer. And I think it's cool for like the beer shop folks to lean into that and and do that. And they make awesome beer. So by all means it, it's like the beer it. version of a miami vice and one of those three foot tall glasses <laughs> yeah, yeah. at like the, yeah, yeah. At a the hurricane yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, they, you know they also have that nice little um paper collar you know yep. identifying what beer it is it's great you know presentation is yep. very yep. important it's well, just I that, think is it that just, kaizen it just nods <laughs> to taking beer more seriously which i think is a good thing right it's a good thing for craft breweries for people to 
to especially lager, right? To take lager more seriously and not treat it as this commodity watered down swill type. Well, of thing. and and seriously is a loaded word because nobody wants like pretension, nobody wants like right. fussiness, but like in the food sense, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can go to McDonald's, but like a good burger is a good burger. Exactly. You know. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. You guys ever had Krolls West across from Limbo Field? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have it so good. They Whatever. like cook it with like the butter patty like in the middle of the burgers and then they like cut it and it's wrapped in paper and you get it at your table and you open it and it just butter runs out that's delicious. Delicious. speaking of burgers <laughs> now i'm humped i haven't eaten today <laughs> trying to go to the gym later today so i'm in like yeah i'm in fat Mur- kid Murph- fasting mode <laughs> murphy's patty melts a local treasure oh baby yeah there's some good stuff Join us next week on the Carbon 4 podcast, an unhinged brewery tour, and we will take a look into what's coming next for these three breweries we have around the table, Carbon 4, Working Draft, and Wisconsin Brewing Company in Lake Louie. What's on the horizon for them? What's new coming up? Cheers, guys. We'll see you again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.